Rock and roll. Kia ora, everybody. What's up? Welcome to Rebet Live. Friday, New Zealand. Thursday, Arvo here. Um, the Raiders are now two and one. Not too happy about that, but we can, we can, we're going to get it up there. Uh, on today's show, uh, we've got a whole bunch of rad weapons. Obviously, the regulars, Cassie Roma and Holly Bennett. But I want to start off, kicking off with the bro, Adam Blair. How are you, mate? I'm good weather. What's happening? Dude, you're in, uh, we were talking about it before. So, day four, you're in a hotel room. Lockdown with just you and the wife. What's well, been going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, oh, plus the kids. kids. We, yeah, we plus forgot the, the kids. kids. So nothing's going on. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, nah, mate, it's uh, it's all right. Um, you know, we're just doing our part and sticking to all the protocols and getting it, it all done. And hopefully in whatever day's left, uh, we get home and get back to our own space because we've been away for a while now. Yeah, um, I was uh, maybe a kickoff point. I was like, how's the... You know, before a big moment or a big test or something, you'll you'll switch your headspace into what you know you'll mentally go to. When you got on a plane from Aussie back to New Zealand, knowing you're going to be in a room for two weeks, did you have a similar mindset of how you knew you'd have to probably approach it? Because <laughs> you know uh, the stages you're going to go through. Yeah, um, that was much really the hardest thing. Is we um, we kind of knew two weeks out before the season was finished that we were coming home, uh, and we had to do ISO and. Um, Again, the wife and I were thinking, you know, what can we do every hour or every two hours where we can keep ourselves busy or keep the kids busy? And you know, as well as my wife's trying to get her jobs done and I'm trying to do some study as well. But then you're trying to give time for the kids and, you know, play games or do some arts and craft, which we have been doing. So it was more about trying to have a little bit of a, a, a normal routine, but it's quite hard. Yeah, it's um from... <laughs> With the, it's different. It's not like you're at the house and you've got the backyard and stuff. I guess if it's a hotel room, how much movement do you actually have? Like, can you go? Can you go for walks and shit? Like, is it or is it like in the flipping room for two weeks? Yeah, no, I think we we I think we're really lucky. Obviously, I've never done one of these ones before, but um, and you've seen a lot of other people's um stays and how they've gone about it. But here we're we're at the Crown and um, there's a uh, couple or oh, four hours a day where you can block out an area like 12 people at a time to go for a walk and there's a oh, little nice. park car park down below us which is about it's like an l shape and you just do that all for 40 minutes so you got that plus we i think we're quite lucky we've got this whole floor to just our team or whoever came home with us so walking up and down the hallway is not too bad at the moment because um you know, as well as obviously making sure that we keep apart from each other, but it's it's not too bad because we can get. I walk up and down, so my kids are just flying up and down the hallway at the moment. Lisa's like <laughs> locked in and safe. Um, so I was gonna I was gonna ask. You know, you've uh, just finished a well, how how long? Fifteen years was it? How, yeah, how fifteen it? years this year. Yeah, fifteen years this so, year. So you woke up on. You came in. So this is day four. You woke up on say Monday or Tuesday, Monday. You woke up and you, you know you're no longer getting tackled by flipping 120 kg rigs. How's yeah. how's your body feeling and how's your headspace knowing that you won't be going through that much physical brutality for the next hopefully ever again? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, to be honest, it, it's mostly one of the, the toughest decisions to make in my whole life. Um, just because you say the word and then it's all done, and yeah. that, that takes seconds. You know what I mean? After a lifetime of putting so much. I guess effort and sacrifices and dedication into a job, um, it's gone in seconds. So mm. it was a tough moment for myself and my wife just being able to, to sit there with each other and say, oh, let's just 
yeah, it's done now. And, and I'm like, oh, no, it's not. And then I'm like, yes, it's done now. And then it's done, you know what I mean? So, you know. Is it a body I'm, or a mind thing? Uh, it's more like, because I, cause I feel good and my body's been, I've been really blessed um, over the 15 years that I've had maybe one major injury in my whole career, which allowed me to play so many games. Um, I still felt fresh in the body, fresh in the mind. And um, that was the toughest decision because I felt that way. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I've done everything I could do um, and for a New Zealand Kiwi player, it, for me, it wasn't about breaking records or going out there and playing as many games. It was just going out there to have fun with my teammates. And, you know, now I've just gone, all right, it's done. I've come home. It still hasn't really sunk in yet, but, you know, I wake up uh, when I get into the hotel. I wake up Monday morning and, you know, I've got a bit of a sore back. So I'm jumping on the foam roll. I'm thinking, do I don't even need to be doing this anymore. Like, I'm stretching. I'm still stretching my hammies. I'm like, oh, just, do I need it's just it's just, just – that's just the norm, you know what I mean? So um, – I'm gonna I'm gonna miss the sport um, because I'm such a competitor and I love doing it. Um, so I don't know when that's gonna leave me. Um, and I'm much probably already talking to um, you know my friends, my wife about like playing some sports or you know I, you know coaching the kids just because I need to be around. I need to be around it and um, trying to make teams for all my friends so that we can play some sport because I don't know how I'm just gonna just give it up just like that. Yeah, it's um, you know, I've I've never played, uh, didn't never played, you know, rugby league or any of that. Is you know, I was more on the, the snowboard sort of circle, so definitely different sort of buzz. But the the headspace to switch mentally to something that's not that full time, um, yeah, it, it's it's a lot, you know, and, and it becomes kind of that thing of, I guess, how old were you when you first started playing? Like like full young buck, what five six or something. Yeah. Because I played union growing up as a kid, so I only just learned the game of rugby league at the age of sixteen when I moved off. So, uh, but like rugby union all the way up, so you know, competitive the whole time, and then you know, sixteen. Yeah, it's um, how does your? It's going to be just a big reset mentally when your life has been this one thing. You know, do you feel that you've been defined so far by what you did, not who you are? Uh, I tried to make sure it wasn't going to, um, you know, try and, yeah, it, it gets that way because everyone for, through our sport, you are judged on your performances week in, week out. It's not on who you are as a person. And um, I guess you cop a lot of criticism, and I have throughout my career. And a lot of times, because I'm the person I am, I don't really, I don't say too much because I think I'm and I just let it all slide because I know that at the end of the day, if there's anyone that's going to change things, it's going to be myself. So I've always had my wife backing me in the background saying, if someone says something about myself, she's always saying, hey, if you've ever met Adam or if you want to meet Adam, don't be shy, give him a message on anything. Go ahead, sit down and have a coffee and then you might get to know him instead of saying these things that are that are hurtful that people hear that don't even know who, you, who he is. So I'm very lucky that you know, I'm pretty thick skinned and I've been around long enough. I know how it works, but I'm grateful that I've got in the background and the things she does. Yeah, dude, it's when you when you get that support from from the number, it's good. I was just gonna say I'm not sure about your your laptop either keeps moving or your hand goes over the mic or something. It gets it's getting a bit rustly, so just okay, I don't right. know where the mic is, but no, nah, it's all G. Um but it looked like yeah, the laptop was moving. Um no, it's gonna so that so on that, right? How 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 long have you been with Wifey for? 
Uh, we met at eight. Been married for I think this will be our ninth year coming up. What you met at eight? Oh, two thousand eight. Sorry, two thousand eight. Yeah. Oh, got you. Oh, good yeah. on you, man. How um how do you think wifey's gonna um go now with uh you at home ninety percent of the time? You reckon she's gonna go batshit crazy, or she's gonna kick you out to make you do something? Yeah, no, it'll be um be both um two other boys. So she's in a household of boys. Um, but she's she's always been a driven person and always had her career in the background, but it's always been put on hold because every time we've moved somewhere, she's about to you know build her connections and get her job off and up and going and I pack up and I say let's go we've got to move somewhere else so I always I've the last couple of clubs I've signed that I've signed for four years and it's taken my wife about three years just to settle into the place make friends get some connections try and get a job and then I've gone hey babe we've got to get up and go and she's like well really I've just lost all my my hard work that I've done so it's like I've said it along throughout my career is that you know, she's always been there to support me. So when I made my decision, it was quite easy because I knew that, um, you know, she had sacrificed so much for for me to put her jobs aside so that she could go and so that I could do my thing. So now it's about time she gets to do hers. Good on you, man. So how long did you play in the game? 15? 15, yeah. 15 seasons. So st- so if you're what, how old are you now? 35? 30, 34. 34. So basically until you're 50, now it's your turn to return the favour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wherever she wants to go, forever. <laughs> Wherever she wants to go. And then that's the good thing about us is that, um, you know, for myself, home is wherever my family is and that's my wife and my two kids and I've been really good about that. Um, but she's a, a home person and if she wants to go home, then we'll go home to where yeah. she wants no, to go. good be. on you. It's um, props to you for acknowledging the sacrifices of a partner, especially, you know, it's tough to – to move and shift and whatever and you know oh. we've i've been through that and so many people have been through it it's, it's tricky when you've got those circles and bubbles you know so especially when yeah. you try to form genuine relationships and yeah. next thing it's, it's like well shit well next and i gotta start all over again which can be yeah. kind of tricky you know um yeah the, the, the i i get it props props to her you i think you after this two-week little lockdown too mate you're gonna have to get the grandparents look after the kids go take it to fiji or do something go away for a bit <laughs> go somewhere eh? just us two by ourselves Wow, yeah. Little camper van. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're gonna have to forgive forgive my my ignorance. I don't know much about rugby league at all. Yeah. I I, all I sort of got friends with it and whatever. But I am keen to really discuss when you woke up in February, thought what the season would be pre-COVID. Yeah. And then you had the bubble life of what existed, and now we're seeing different leagues around the world. Say with you know the NBA have got their bubble yeah. lockdown in um in Florida, and there's um you know NFL trying to do bits and pieces. How how drastic of a shift was it? mentally to gear up for a season which didn't logistically operate like anything you would have ever expected talk me through that i'm just really intrigued from an athlete's perspective of perception versus reality for how you approached the season of what you thought it would be to the realities of what it actually was um yeah uh so yeah so we again we we start our season off um we play two rounds and um i think our second round is when everything started um coming about about the COVID and all the rules and stuff like that. And I think it wouldn't have been, um, you know, we played our first game and they said we got off the field, we got we got pumped 20-0. And um, before we could even sit down, we already had our CEO telling us that um, we could be going home because this, the country's going into lockdown. Um, so we, we've quickly shifted aside our, our thoughts on the game and we're all on our phone 
trying to get hold of our partners saying, hey, we, we might get stuck over here. Um, and so they're panicking. Uh, we're panicking and football's quickly pushed aside from that moment onwards. Um, we make a pit because it hadn't been confirmed that the country was going into lockdown that we'll stay on for a game, maybe two games and see how it goes. But if anything happens, we're just going to get on the um, plane and go home. But the whole time, um, which is the hardest thing, um, obviously I've been around the game long enough. It's quite for young people and older guys that have been around, like older guys, you can kind of stay focused. And the younger guys were just, you know, they were all over the place. Or guys or families, myself included, it was quite hard to focus on rugby league because in the back of our minds, we just wanted to get home and be with our families because if we got locked out of the country, we didn't know how long that was going to be for. Um, so we, we, we stay on and play one more game and it must be one of the hardest weeks because, you know, we just, I, I know everyone wanted to go home, uh, but we had a job to do and we got pumped again. Um, and that was obviously with, with everything going on, uh, through the week on every single day, everyone's on their phones, checking on updates. Can we get them today? Can we get them tomorrow? And then trying to train, then trying to get, prepare yourself for a big game on the weekend, um, was hard as a group uh, because I don't think everyone was committed, and we sit around, around a we sat around a table and we said, "Yeah, we're all in and we're committed to stay on, and whatever happens, happens." But I think at that stage, I don't think everyone was committed. Um, yeah, the headspace of it, right? It's a different because that's the that's the hook when you know that there's all these external pressures of real world shit and your kids and where your grandparents are at and. And the bubbles and, yeah. and like, wait a second, I can't get to my home country. Wait a second. And it's all right. Now i got to go train. Shit, i got a yeah. game. Like the, yeah, and, and, and I'm interested that verbally there was commitment to the team, but mentally they actually weren't, some weren't checked in the same way. And do you think it was an age thing or it was a, they didn't understand the, what do you think the? I think everyone just wanted to get home, um, you know, and it was, yeah, you, it's hard to process when, when there's things going on every single day that the country's going to go into lockdown, we can't get out of here, can't get out of here, and we everyone just wants to get out. Like, so I, I can't speak for the other boys on what their their thoughts were, but I know myself that you know I wanted to go home, but I I tried to stay focused and be in the moment. Um, it's, it's because I was obviously one of the older guys and one of the leaders, so staying focused for them was most probably my priority but at the same time in the back subconsciously i was thinking come on please just tell us we've got to go home like call the call the game off um call the competition off so we can get out of here so if they did that just uh when it first went to lockdown i was watching the game when the mavs were playing i forget who they're playing in the nba and it shot to when they, they decided on the court that it was the jazz i think mavs and the jazz and decided it was over and you see mark cuban's face as he read it just going holy shit like it's flipping the season's yeah. finished nba were a bit stuffed from the accounts that i've read they needed to commit at least 70 percent of their um season to hit the threshold to get their tv rights money deals okay how did commerce play a role in so say if they cancel it does everyone still get paid who loses money here or who makes money here what 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 would have happened if they just gassed it yeah so we um we go home we get to go home because they call the competition off and um we go into what do we have eight ten weeks back home in new zealand and lockdown um and most really that whole most really six weeks of that 
10 weeks we were on the phones um, trying to organise, you know, what the season looks like moving forward if it was to get going again, uh, pay uh, all the TV rights, the broadcasting rights, all those things. That's that was it. the whole – literally that was the conversation for six weeks and it went yeah. round and round and round and round in circles because the, the owners of this, the NRL wanted the game to go back on because they needed the money for them. The TV deals. And then, um, exactly, and the and the pricing of the tickets as well. And this yeah. is I've got a friend who's in this space pretty heavy. He was telling me the breakdown of how the revenues actually stacked, and yeah. and it's insanely disproportionate to the TV rights deals that also go internationally. And if they don't basically play, they don't get the revenue, yeah. and then it comes on the, the unions or whatever else to do it. So there was this crazy sort of commercial tension that was happening in the background as a player. I guess you go to yourself too of, you know, if it's an option that this is your livelihood for you and your families and you might not get a flipping cent, you're probably just like, dude, let's just play. Um, how was the, how did it all end up? Did everyone end up kind of, I guess, happy and stoked and kind of felt it was fair or you got your unions well, and shit? Like how did it roll out? Yeah, the thing for us was that we had to, for the game to get going, they needed us to move country. Um, mm. And that was much with that another tough decision for a lot of the boys because we weren't we weren't going to get full pay um mm. and as of where we were we had already been paid up to i think 80 percent of our pay or something or 50 percent 52 percent of our pay for the year so we were getting a uh pay cut on what was remaining of our pay which was i think the percentage went down to 20 maybe 20 percent of our last few months of pay so you got a cut on top of that yeah. Um, so when our decision, uh, we made a decision to leave, it was making sure that we, it was right for everyone in the group that we got enough pay that we were happy to leave the country. Mm. Um, and I think we all ended up agreeing that we got to a 20%, which was better than what they were trying to say. I think they were getting us for maybe 15 and I think if we were going to, if it was going to be that low, we we were thinking, well, is it worth making the sacrifice, uh, leaving our families behind, um, you know, doing all those little things that no one in the other in Australia have to do? Is it worth leaving them for that much money? I ended up we ended up coming to agreement, you know, twenty percent of our last whatever was left of the of the year pay, and we got on a plane and shipped over to Aussie for an unknown time. How? What was the setup? Were you just staying in hotels? Do you have your own houses and shit? What was the? Yeah, was the so vibe? we went to. Um, obviously, we had to do. I think they had uh, isolation process over in Australia. So we went to uh, Tamworth, and uh, um, it's a town out in New South Wales somewhere, maybe five hours out of uh, Newcastle somewhere. And um, we we're very lucky. We got the. Um, they locked off the whole hotel for us, so it was only oh, us nice. and them. Um, and a couple of staff. So we were there for 17 days. But at the same time, there was a field literally across the road. It was less than 100 metres. So we had everything in there for us. So we didn't have to, we couldn't leave the area. It was all barricaded off. So we trained for two weeks before the season started and then we moved into some apartment living styles. Yeah, cool. Um, I'm getting given shit by Mike Jenkins, who's a good <laughs> friend, who's also a flipping little... Tech David, Rebecca Hollis, yo, less business, more fanboy. Dude, Mark, I don't know rugby league. I don't even know all the positions. I'm sorry. Um, can you ask Adam who is the greatest Kiwi League player of all time, in his opinion, and is he a Queenslander or Blues fan? 
There you go, Mike. Stuff you. Okay, answer uh, away, mate. So who right. is the greatest Kiwi League player of all time? Um, go. Because I, because I only um, started watching um, rugby league when I was – maybe when I moved to Australia, um, I never saw all the older um, generation of Kiwi players play, but I've seen highlights and stuff like that. Um the guys that I did watch coming through would have been obviously Ruben Wiki, who is, in my opinion, um, most probably one of the greatest guys in uh, New Zealand league league player, um, just because of you know his toughness on the field, but then his humbleness off the field. Um, and if I go into like the Queensland Blues, um, growing up as a kid, I was always a, um, a Blues fan, and a lot of Kiwi people are Blues fans. But then when I moved to Australia, because I signed with the Melbourne Storm when I was a kid, and they had a lot of Queenslanders on there, I jumped quickly jumped ship <laughs> to the Queenslanders. And, um, you know, I've been a Queenslander ever since. I've played um, Queensland under-17s. It's quite funny. I moved from New Zealand when I was a kid, and I was a Kiwi, but I got to play Queensland under-17s, and I took on the whole um, – when they do all their chants, they yell, they yell out – Queensland, when they're running through the tunnel, and I did that, and I look back and I think, what was I, what was I thinking when I was a kid? But uh, you know, it was fun times. Um, Rebecca says, "Hi, I would really be interested to know from a player's perspective what it was like to play a game in COVID without fans in the stadium. Did they bump up music, sound? What what did they do? What was it like? Yeah, early on, early on, they had um, the sounds going. They had the artificial fans, like the clapping in the background, the cheering. I don't know, Is like weird. I guess when you like when you play at um, a stadium like Suncourt Stadium where it's always pretty full, it's thirty thousand plus every game. And I played there when I was at the Broncos. It gives you a it gives you a lift, and it's 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 pretty fun playing in front of a, a packed out house. Um, didn't really didn't really notice it. Oh, I did notice it, but like you're so focused in the moment and playing the footy game that you don't really uh, have a chance to even that you worry about the fans and stuff like that. But um, yeah, you definitely know the difference when it comes to, um, you know, having fans and not fans because we had fans in the back half of the seasons and it was so good to have them and see them all back again. Yeah. I've, I've been wondering about that because I was thinking, you know, the the MC that's in there that's sort of tuning it in the NBA things, they've been switching it. So each home game are different. They're doing it, they're changing the chants and the boos and, and how they do it. I'm, like, I'm wondering, does that make it a genuine effect on, on sport? But, you know, when you're in the zone, you're in the zone. Yeah. Um, Scott Rewe asked a question. He said, was the NRL better when arms weren't required in the tackle and who hit the hardest other than yourself? Clearly Scott <laughs> knows the old little league. Oh, so was, was it better when arms weren't required? Um, I couldn't tell you, to be honest. Um, shoulder char- So the shoulder charge, he's obviously talking about arm. Um, it was it was good if you could pull it off, but at the same time, I think as everyone got bigger and stronger, it became a little bit more dangerous because um, there was less of a, a care factor for the opposition mm. because you could you could hit uh, someone in the shoulder, but then it could slip up, hit them in the chin, and knock them out. Um, yeah, and I think that's what they were trying to avoid. In the at the end of the day, back in the day, they didn't care. Oh, well, I don't know if they did kick. I didn't play, but you were allowed to do a few things like that. But it was a little bit more controllable. I think I don't think people were as um, stronger, more mobile, more fitter, bigger. Um, and again, with our game uh, that they've changed the, the model to, it's it's a lot quicker. So there's a lot of fatigue. So there's less control on what you're trying to do. 
Um, and again, when he cut, what did he say? The hardest tech, someone hardest tackler, or um, hardest and then it was uh, sorry, give me one sec. And then, uh, and who hit the hardest other than yourself? <laughs> who, <laughs> I'm not a big hitter. Um, who hit the hardest? Uh, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of um, a lot of smaller guys that have really good tackle technique that hit under the ball. Um, are, are the hardest, harder, harder guys to run at. Um, but you, we do enough video these days that um, you know the people that can hit hard or the boys, the boys that hit under the ball that you just you try and stay away from them. You just or or the thing these days, because we're so athletic um, and there's so much footage around individuals now. It's just trying to it's trying to have that awareness around you know what what shot do they do hit off uh, if you. If you're running at them, which way they like to go all the time, or use your feet to get into a, a harder position so they can't in you. So um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of um, smaller guys. Um, that there's a kid at the Roosters, Victor Radley. He's quite a um, good tackler. I haven't I don't know if I've been tackled by him, but I've seen a lot of his footages. Steve Matai, he's a Kiwi guy that was um, a pretty big hitter, um, but. A lot of the times he got you from the side when you didn't see him coming and cleaned a lot of people up in his days. And I think um, him and there's another guy down there at Manly that's still playing now, George Tofua. He he's another guy. He comes from the wing and just cleans cleans guys up at the back. That old chestnut, <laughs> the old seeky set from the side. Yeah. Um, Simon, we'd wanted to go a little deeper on it. Here we go. Um, how much racism did you face in the NRL, and how did it manifest itself? Um, racism. Um, yeah, it's obviously been around for a, a fair bit in every most sports over here, um, and in rugby league. I don't, I don't, I personally didn't come across um, too much of it. Um, I did hear a lot, but for me, I just, if I heard something like that, I just turn around and if I was on the bench, or and just turn around and just say, "Come on, please, don't say that." And again, I've been around for a long time, so I've got a bit of a thicker skin. Yes, it, it shouldn't be in the game. And then of late, we've had a couple of other um, accusations or boys saying that they've got a bit of a, a racist slur against them. Um, there's no room for it in our game, um, and they get put on the spot pretty quickly. But um, yeah, I didn't really, um, you know, come across too much in my time when I was when I was playing. But I did hear some things. Um, but I, and for me, it's just about just saying, hey guys, um, there's no room for that here. Just keep it to yourself. Yeah, I get it. Maybe maybe the way to end racism within the league is just to keep no fans at the games. I'm sure that would be very sustainable. Then maybe they'll stop. <laughs> um, interesting here. Uh, who is the most inspiring coach that you've ever worked with? Um, as in inspiring, as in like what speeches or person to play uh, for? Um, maybe someone that you'd... Who you'd be most happy to die for going to battle? Um, I'd have to say um, uh, as I got older, would have to be um, Wayne Bennett, um, 70, 72, uh, still coaching. Um, really uh, just a people's man and um, a father figure to a lot of people. Um, just cool. knew – just knew what to say at the right times. Um, I got an opportunity to go back to, or oh, not go to Brisbane when I was in Sydney and uh, he became the coach. And as soon as I found that out, I put my hand up to go home because I knew that um, 
I could he could get the best out of me. Um, mm. So he lets you be you and just builds people around you just to back you up and believes in your ability. So it helps you believe in yourself. Um, and, you know, you don't want to let him down. So you'll go out to the field and make sure that, you know, everything you do, you don't do it properly because you know that your coach is backing you. And he's one person that I um, I still, still speak to these days about just, you know, life after football and life during football about, uh, you know, things like that. Well, it's um, interesting. We had uh, Victor Vito on the show earlier, was it last week or Monday or something, um, and he was just talking about the, the exact point of knowing who needed to pick me up when, like with the 2011-15 All Blacks team, um, yeah. who was doing the pieces and the energy of like what each person sort of brought to the table. Um, but I know we're a little tap for, for your time. Last question here. Um, I had some other questions, but I'm actually these are pretty good. We've clearly got some. Some some solid egg ballers in the house. Uh, what is the next career move for you, my friend? You've uh, you're freshly <clears throat> retired. You're you're in four days of of forced relaxation with you, the wife, and two kids in a hotel room for two weeks. You wake up in two weeks' time. You're home. You're seeing your fam. What's next for you, my friend? Uh, work wise, um, I've been lucky. I um, when I moved to Sydney from Melbourne uh, because I had never had family with me there. I had my parents, my mum, and my brothers and sisters all in Melbourne. Um, but when I moved to Sydney, I, I I personally made some goals and some sacrifices that would help me longevity-wise in the game, on and off the field. Um, so obviously, one of them was you know not drinking till the end of the year, um, trying to find uh, some do some study outside of rugby league that to take my mind away from football. Um, and then my wife was doing her own personal stuff as well. So I quickly jumped into some, jumped into uni in Sydney and the, the whole, the end goal was to be a sports psych. Um, for myself, I think um, the mind and how it all works is um, pretty interesting. Um, and I've always been um intrigued in how people think or how people think and how they react under a certain situation especially in games um and then we do a lot of army camps um coming through as kids and as rugby league players and putting ourselves in situations that um you know you're not comfortable with and trying to i like to see how people react to those situations so my whole goal was to be a sports psych uh if on the way um i likes another path of psychology then i was going to go that way so i started um a little bit of uh, psychology in sydney i moved up to brisbane kept going with my psychology then i've come back to um come back to the warriors or moved to the warriors and kind of um put that on the back but not because um uh i didn't i wanted to stop it's just that the time i had in sydney and brisbane wasn't was exactly the same in the warriors and we were always traveling our days off, uh, different days off, and trying to get into uni down here was a lot dif more difficult. So COVID comes around, and uh, they say that we might not have a, um, have a job. So, um, so my wife and I jumped online, and um, at the moment doing a bachelor in applied management uh, just because um, I need to. And I, I'm interested interested in that kind of area where it becomes management and knowing yourself and mm. all those kind of things first before you can coach other people or talk to other people. Um, I applied for the police. Um, Damn. So I just, again, for me, it's about, yeah, it's about giving back to 
people. Um, I love working in communities. Um, I'm from the far north, so um, if I can help a little Māori boy uh, up there chase a dream or give him a little bit of motivation or take him off the street, um, then, you know, I'd be there in a heartbeat to try and help them. Um, so my whole whole drive is to, you know, ultimately would, I'd love to open up an academy halfway between um, Whangarei and the north where not only is it a sports academy but academy for everything, um, life in general, um, giving them motivation or giving them um, something that's going to help them uh, get off get off the street or, or give them a bit of motivation to, to drive and chase a dream. Um, so I'd be most probably in that space. Uh, the coaching space, I'd love to um, work with some young development players that are, are striving to play NRL. Um, I'd love to have a couple of boys there just working with them as much as I can to try and once they get into the um, get to preseason become um, an NRL player, they're, they're already pushing or challenging players in front of them. Uh, so I've got a lot of things I want to do um, and there's some steps in place to try and get that done. So that's me. There's so much. And it's, I think at the end of the day, it's all about, for me, it's all about giving back to, uh, you know, the sport, giving back to these kids that I was once them uh, where I felt that when I – I didn't have the same um, help when I was coming through. I just kind of just, you know, I guess the, the toughest find their way through it. If you can get through it, if you don't, then you fall out the back. So I just want to be able to help those guys that are doing it tough, that have dreams, that can't afford it, that can't get to trainings or get to places because they're too far up north. And if I can put something in halfway where they can make it there, then I'm happy to help. Dude, that's mega, man. I'm also be scared as shit if you're a psychologist and a police officer. It's, that's that's a dangerous combo. Peter says shot. Uh, uh, Peter says shot, and then Peter says shot, and the finals need something. Um, brothers, it's been awesome, man. I really appreciate the 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 chat, and it's called clearly your headspace is in a pretty um, sweet spot for what you do next. Yeah. And just the the reality is, you know, you have a platform now, and that platform that you've built over the last you know 15 years of credibility and all that hard work is now gonna, you know last you out for the for the legacy game of giving back to others which i think is super yeah. important and, and really cool so and props to you as well for a lot of athletes don't see what's next they wake up and go now what um, yeah clearly your headspace is seeing where it's going to go too so full props and kudos to you man like putting you you know it's a, it's a long career and um i'll see you when you're 50 after you paid your 15 years back to your wife for yeah. making you follow your ass around for the last <laughs> decade and a half um, and then when you get out of lockdown let me know where you, um where you take it for a nice dinner out yeah french cafe yeah. here you come my man bro thank you brother appreciate it talk to you soon bro oh, cheers bye -bye. that was bro adam blair clearly owes his wife quite a lot to deal with the you know 15 years on a show i'll give him some i'll give him some claps flipping epic uh damn 15 years in the game it's mega all right next up one minute pitch i'm really excited i know who this human is we're good friends he's one hello ben rose hello hello how are you going oh you get claps to come on in how are awesome. you buddy appreciate that now, yeah good man how are you i know who you are i know what the grower is I know exactly what you do, but the others don't. So I would like to give you your one-minute pitch. Um, I'll get my, I'll give a little timer. Um, where are you right now? I am right now in my kitchen, desperately hoping oh. that my dogs don't make a lot of noise. You, you're rolling the dice. All right. <laughs> yep, <I'll>, correct. 
I, I know that feeling. Uh, timer, one minute. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Rose, one minute pitch. Three, two, one, go. So sales and marketing, really, really important. Everyone knows that they need revenues. If you don't have revenue, then you don't have a business. But the problem is super complicated, really hard to know what you should do instead of what you could do. There's loads of people out there telling you that what they do is exactly what you need. But the problem is if you go to a fishmonger and ask what to have for dinner, the answer is invariably going to be fish. So what we do is we work with our clients to put together a plan, work out what is going to make a difference to them and grow their sales. Uh, and then we pull together a team of experts we've, we've got a big network of um, to deliver it for them. So we don't just come in and give them an idea. We actually execute it for them. And it's all about growing their sales. That's it. Mate, that was only 45 seconds. Last week's was 51. That was 45. So you only need 45. Boom, done. I do. Well done. Well done. Thanks, man. That was good. Um, well, it's simple. Like it doesn't need to be hard, right? No. Uh, say, uh, how do you describe... The growery, is it a sales agency? Is it a sales growth? What do you we're call a it? sales growth partner. And partner's partner. really important because we're not just in there to flog you something and bugger off. We're there for the long haul. Um, are you opening up options for potential equity in future businesses that you work with? Yeah, we've, we've been approached about some of that. We are, we are having a look at that. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I've uh, got a friend who's in the um, consultancy s space pretty heavy and – um, he's been talking about there's a lot of, um, you know, long-term relationship opportunities by taking existing parties that they work with and then taking equity pools on both and basically putting them in the same room to help help grow it in efficiency. So there's, I'm sure there's a whole bunch happening in that space as well. Um, I like your T-shirt. Very cool. Thanks Thanks very much. Thanks. That's cool. Uh, anyway, you've got to have, you have a bit of merch, a minute, just because. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this has been cool. I need it. We'll need to catch up soon, man. Um, I hope you're well. Everything's ripping away and charging yeah, on for you. Yeah, doing all right. Doing all right. But business is, you know, business is tough, but we're out there. We're doing it. We're knocking on doors. And, you know, so far, so far, we've got a, we got a business. So, that you know, it's just all Thank about you. people knowing that there is an option to help them. Mm. All right. So if people want to go to, uh, where can they go? What can they do? Feel free to plug your website now. You're a good man. They should go to www.thegrowery.co.nz uh, or if they're in New Zealand, they can call on 027 Growery. Oh, snap. He's added the 027. <laughs> I know someone Making else it easy. is a Making it, it easy. makes it easy. Uh, 027 Growery. So that's that's solid. Done. Yeah. As long as yeah. that's how you spell it right there. Um, I love your work, brother. Be good. I'll give you um, give me some give me some claps. Good man. Show Catch up. Talk soon. Cheers. Bye. Oh, wait, you're right, wait, wait, you're coming back. No, wait, I, I pushed it too soon. I needed to introduce it. There's Ben Rose, absolute legend. Ladies and gentlemen, Holly Bennett. There you go. Hi, Holly. Oh, it's good to see you. Kia ora, atumari, good morning. Morena, morena. Um, sorry, I accidentally um, jumped you into it too that soon. That was great. I'm glad I was ready and I wasn't just like, like looking around. <laughs> A-okay. Um, just quick recap. I really like Adam Blair. He is a flippin' good human. That was awesome. He's a really good human. Mad no, props yeah. to his wahine, though, because oh. that was one of the things that he did, I think, on LinkedIn a couple of days ago that I saw, and he just gave her mad uffy, like, all his aroha, and called her his queen, and I was like, yeah, that's the one. He knows. He knows where yeah, he's at. He, 
he's also he's got some brownie points to make up you know like boosting yeah. around for 15 years and wifey coming with you it's like it's her turn time to shine now know your flipping role absolutely you, yeah that's awesome okay absolutely Holly Bennett. and then your next guest um yes. ben, uh I haven't responded to an email he sent me, so I apologize oh, if you're watching. <laughs> and I will respond to you today. <laughs> there you go. Um, I have found with mine is I'll just try and batch load because I can't be reactionary to it. And it went, anyone that knows, they just ring or text me and I'm 100% yeah. there every single time, every single day. I yeah. just It becomes a wave of gnarliness. So always try and you know, keep that thing. Um, politics. Yes. This week in politics, uh, what would you like to talk about, Holly Bennett? There's a few things. Um, okay. So I guess the three priority issues are, one, the leaders' debate. Two, Round two. a policy announcement yep. made by, yeah. Um, two is the uh, a policy announcement made by Māori Party that I want to touch on. And three, continuing our kōrero from last wiki, which was about around this freedom of speech stuff. So I've had a little Ooh. bit of a deeper dive, so we can yes. touch on that in the end if you want. Also, I would like to add a fourth little mini agenda is um, okay. X Smee plan, which I saw him post on uh, LinkedIn with a couple of pretty interesting um, things as well um, to help uh, small businesses, which I thought was very cool. At least something was documented specifically with what they could do where. So leaders debate number one. Uh, you didn't watch it because you went out for a nice dinner and you were supporting yeah. the local hospitality industry by buying pasta somewhere. Great. Yeah. Uh, leadership uh, debate number two. Judith, Jacinda, who won? Go. Well, I watched it, so at least I have, am able to be able to give some good commentary on it. I thought that um, both of them were firing on all cylinders. I really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the wit and the banter that both our um, uh, major party leaders have and bring. I thought that Patty did a great job, as usual, to keep the conversation going, because that's one of the hardest parts as a moderator, right, especially in live TV, is that you've got to keep things moving. Um, there was a good discussion, not too many new things. Um, the one thing that did bother me about the debate was referencing the um, Labour leader as dear. I don't like that. It doesn't sit well with me um, because often in um, rooms, you know, I just know what it feels like to be almost minimised through the use of language um, despite the role that I hold. And so that sort of sat uncomfortably with me and I hope that maybe we don't see a continuation of that. It could be a political tactic. I mean, I imagine it probably is. Uh, but that is one thing that I picked up on that um, I didn't like. And was this Judith calling uh, Jacinda Deer? Yeah. It's like, uh, okay, I get it. Um, just kind of yeah. like, okay, dear, you just sit down in the corner and just do your thing, let the adults talk type of a, a vibe. Yeah. Dis dismissive yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. Words have power. Whoever said sticks and stones break my bones is full of shit because words actually do hurt. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I don't imagine it. Um, I mean, I see the – um, the Labour leader is someone who can brush that off, you know, and I don't think it would hurt her in the slightest, but I don't think it's becoming for our political leaders. I don't know if you watched the shit show that was the US presidential debate, um, but I would hate to see our politics go to, down to that. It's just not yep, really I what I'm interested in, and I think that's a huge indictment on that country and 
who they have as their options. No comment. Um, <laughs> Maori Party announcement uh, that you would like to talk about. Uh, Maori Party all going to the Maori role. What's the buzz? That's the one. So Maori Party has released like um, many policies this election. Um, I don't want to say that they're virtue signaling, um, but many of them I think that society and community are doing themselves. For example, calling New Zealand Aotearoa, like lots of people I know call it Aotearoa or Aotearoa New Zealand. And um, that's a good thing. I don't know if we need to just force everyone to do it. It's happening naturally. One of the things that they've announced is, um, yeah, moving everyone um, of Māori descent, so it's everyone who's whakapapa, so like you, me, um, to the Māori role. And when we talk about self-determination, that's all about making decisions for ourselves. And mm. I'm fundamentally against a political party mm. having that as a policy to push us onto the Māori role. Now, I've been on both general and Māori, um, and I made the decision when it was last open to move, to move back to the general. People will ask why. Well, every single political party, apart from Labour, had a Māori leader, and Labour had a Māori deputy leader. And I thought, that's really all I need to see. We're there, mm. and we're there at the top. And so I moved myself to general. Is it the fact of you don't like a government forcing you to have a, only have a say within a certain realm, that you should have that? Is it the fact that they're trying to take away choice for your voice? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Give me that choice. Yep. It's my vote. It's not yours. Mm. <laughs> like, don't tell me that I can and can't. I thought, I think the smarter thing, if they wanted to go down that track, is make it easier to move. That they, mm. you, because at the moment, you can only move every, I think it's every three years. I'm not too sure. Well, why don't you just take that inhibitor away and make it, you can move at any time? Yeah, sure, it creates more effort for the Electoral Commission. But if we actually want to, look at how we can make it about people making their own decisions, make it easier for them to move. Uh, forced segregation to that point could almost start to bring up some different conjurings of, you know, race being put in a bucket by force. You know, I'm not to go back to Nazi Germany with, with Jews and the, the shoulders, things on the shoulder or whatever, but forcing, forcing race into, for, to take away options, I'm sure what probably won't, maybe go down very well with a bunch of people I could process. And there's obviously probably a counter argument to it for a whole bunch of um, probably different reasons, which I'm, it'd be interesting. So who, who runs the Māori party now? Uh, John Tamahiri and Debbie, yeah. uh, Debbie Packer. Yeah. It'd be interesting. No, I should, should try and get him on the show, have, have a chat. Um, oh, ask him, free speech. ask him. Absolutely. Yeah. Pete, you ask him, tell him, ask JT why. Why do we all need to move on? Because I'm more than capable yeah, of exercising my vote. Um, on the general role uh, without needing to be like forced to move I get to it. the Māori role. <laughs> it's a good question. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm going straight from idea to execution. I'm putting down... I love it. Good. <laughs> JTQ re Māori party. Cool. And say, um, tell, I say to him, Mark Bennett's daughter would like to know why. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. Um, free speech. Hit me. Yes. Okay, so I had a look into, we brought this up last week and we were going to have this as a continuing talking point. So I did my research, did a little digging. Um, from what I can see is that it's all around hate speech. 
um, I think it spurred um, out of the um, Christchurch massacre um, and that the Labour Party decided that we could we needed to do something about hate speech, especially in regards to religion and that kind of um, that kind of realm. Now, I um, I know that they tried to do this while they were in government uh, and it was New Zealand first that put a stop to this because they couldn't get agreement on how you do change the policy. Um, so now it is Labour's continuing this to be um, a platform change that they're going to do. And um, I haven't seen anything specifically written down. So it's obviously just a continuation of their party position. Um, and it's just an important thing that I think that we need to continue to keep talking about because it's not to say that we let people get away with saying offensive things. It's about whether or not the state has the role to persecute us for our opinions. Mm. It's a it's a slippery slope because for, for years people have even been, um, you know, they've lost jobs for things they've said on Facebook groups. There's been, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that's happened on and on and on. Um, I think in 2020 of the year of everything being cancelled for certain, certain things, of one thing you did 20 years ago, cancelled, everything's cancelled, cancelled, cancelled. Um, I yeah. hope that it finds its balance way into the middle to realise that every single person who has some type of platform anywhere is not going to be perfect. They will do dumb shit. They will say dumb shit. Dumb things will happen. It will be recorded. You know, I just can't wait till 2050 when the president is going to have Snapchat DMs from 2018, which are going to get called out in Snapchat, but everyone's going to have the same thing. So I hope that over time, everyone realises that everyone is not actually perfect. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess it's just another watch the space. I'll see if there's any more rhetoric on it next week. I think um, I couldn't find any new articles this week about it. It was sort of like a one-shot wonder in the media. Um, but we'll just watch the space because that is something that um, <clears throat> should we get a similar government um, returned after 17th of October, they will look to make changes to um, the way, uh, basically our um, freedoms around speech. Well, I think it's going to get amplified as well because the battle between platforms to do it and then governments to do it, usually there's a disconnect between the speed of execution from both sides as well, which will be very interesting. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, John Tomahini, I will be tricking his ass down to ask him about that question and say, well, Mark Bennett's daughter asked me to ask you. But yeah. I, I know Cartney, so do I think it. it might hopefully be possible. It'd just be very interesting. Um, enjoy the rest of your um, – the, the day and the week and, and all that you. comes with it. Thanks again, Holly. Love Thank your work. You. Have a good day. Adios. Bye. See ya. Holly Bennett, flipping champion. Love the politics. Good little, good little vent there. Uh, you wonder if it ruffles some feathers, young, powerful Wahine coming up and saying, don't force me into the Māori role. Uh-uh-uh. I get that. I'll be very interested to see that. Uh, one minute pitch. I'm actually really excited for this quick little one minute pitch. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Bregman. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. How are you? Uh, Great to see you. I, it was I fabulous to see Holly. I haven't seen her, obviously, since I haven't been able to get into New Zealand for probably a year, but uh, we've kept in touch. She's great. There you go. Uh, one one minute pitch. Um, I We are friends. I know you, but others may don't. So we get to do a little one minute pitch for what you're doing. You ready to rumble? I'm ready to rumble. You have the timer. Okay. Three, two, one. Hit me. Okay. Well, I'm Mark Bregman. Um, I am a, obviously not a Kiwi. I live here in the San Francisco Bay Area, but I have spent a lot of time in New Zealand, and I've had a connection to New Zealand for over 20-some years. 
in the late 90s, I was there for the America's Cup at the time, and I purchased a piece of property down in central Otago, a part of a vineyard, uh, and that gave me an excuse to come and visit quite often. Uh, and I've kept track of what's been going on down there. So starting uh, a few years ago, I decided to do two things. Well, one thing two years ago and another thing more recently. The thing I started on about two years ago, two and a half years ago, was focusing on venture investment in early stage New Zealand startups that are planning to come to the US market. I perceived a need for um, help, support, network connection, et cetera, for those startups that originate in New Zealand, but which want to come to the US market. And with one foot kind of in New Zealand and one here in the US, I thought I could help them. And then I also found that there was obviously, as many people know, a shortage of um, capital for those early stage companies. So I wanted to help them. Is that my one minute timer? That was your one minute timer, but Mark, we forgot something very important. What is the name of your company? <laughs> Q-U-I-D-N-E-T-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S. And just as a quick, I'll, I'll overstep my bounds, kind of like our president does when he has a time limit, but I don't mean it the same way. Um, Quidnet is a town in New Zealand, and I'm sorry, in Nantucket. Nantucket's an island off the coast of Massachusetts. In the mid-1800s, it was the wealthiest city in the United States because of the whale oil industry. And at that time, Nantucket town, the main town is where all the ships came in. It was kind of a stinky place, not very nice, a lot of smelly oil and dirty boats. The retired sea captains would live on the other side of the island in Sconset or Quidnet. And the young uh, up and coming sailing captains would go to Quidnet to seek support, venture investment from these captains. And they were the first venture capitalists in the world. Where did those boats go when they left Nantucket? Well, they sailed south around South America and their first port of call frequently was in New Zealand. So they brought a lot of that connection to what was then Auckland uh, primarily. And they often picked up crew, in fact, including many Maori. And so even in the mid 1800s, there were Maori who had come back after sailing voyages to the United States and were in Nantucket. So I thought that was a good name to connect US capital and New Zealand entrepreneurs. Um, quidnetventures.com? Yes. Yep. Yes. Quidnetventures.com. Uh, Mark, love your work, brother. We'll have to catch up soon for a yarn and a socially distanced whiskey. Absolutely. I'll love your work, brother. See you Take soon. care. Thank you. Later, bro. Mark Brigman, good bastard here in, um, here in San Fran. We get an international guest. This is very cool. We get um, people from all over Australia. We've had Canada. We've had America. Obviously, New Zealand. Um, and that gets us wrong. Couldn't adventures uh, investing in early stage startups from New Zealand to try and get them to USA. If you're a tech startup or you something, check them out. Um, and the bro Mark will be probably more than happy to have a chat with you. Uh, last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, claps are ready. One and only, Cassie Roma. How are you, Cassie? I'm great. How are you doing? Hey, okay. So I've I've really enjoyed the the banter today. I've been deceptively surprised. And I'm quite quite pumped, so I'm I'm feeling pretty good. How are you? It's been a good show. It's been a good show. I didn't know much about um, rugby league or the Warriors, or gosh, I hope people don't you know unfollow after that. But I didn't know much either. And what a conversation, you know, and yeah. talking about the things that people give up for their passions and the way that families support others. And you know, it it takes a village, it takes a community, it takes a fun um to to be successful and make it through life. Mm, I um. 
I also don't know much about rugby league. I interviewed at a former All Black on Monday, and I don't even know what position he played. So I had to ask. I him watched that interview, and I didn't know either. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, cool. No, but I think the it was funny because we chatted after we we connected a, a little bit, and uh, he was just saying it's really refreshing just not talking about the thing that all I do is talk about my entire life, and I'm coming yeah. from the side of like I know nothing about how the the shit works. So let's yep. just have a conversation. So, so it was cool. I. I um, yeah, very cool. Anyway, uh, you were out at Mission Bay last week with Anika. You went a little yes. paddle boarding. Looked we like are, we're, ha- yeah, you can hear us today, right? <laughs> I, can, I can hear you. No, that's fine. Um, so what's bubbling in your world? What's the biggest thing? What's the thing that matters most for Cassie Rama this week? Well, what matters most is we're just, we're on another beach today, actually, just outside my front door. So we're um, on Waihiki this week. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, my wife and I. So she's sitting outside waiting very patiently. Um, but this week, you know, it was interesting listening. I love listening to you and Holly. I love her laugh. Oh, my God, she gets me going on a Friday. Just just energy, right, and passion. But then when she speaks, you're like, whoa, she yeah. is one whipping, smart mate. cookie. Wow. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting what you guys were talking about around the privacy act and freedom of speech and all of those kinds of things, because you're a hundred percent right with like president with a Snapchat, 10 years, you know, all of those things we're going to be talking about. We're going to have Uh, pics of a president or prime minister within 20 years and the world's going to see his dick. 100% will happen. They have those of the current fella. You know that nobody wants to see it though. Nobody wants to see it. We digress. We digress. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more. So I was thinking about, first I want to talk about creativity and um, how important it is for um, solutioneering and bringing out problems in um, business. But then I was thinking about that and I was thinking about freedom of speech and who we are at work. And the, so I completely changed. So cross everything off of your list, Rupet. Cause I was thinking was about, let's, yeah, great. Um, let's talk about the importance of what are the boundaries? And I'd like to maybe flip the flip it and ask you the question. So when we go to work, most of us are somebody who we aren't when we're at home or vice versa. Uh, you and I are very close, I think, to who we are, regardless of which door we walk into, which room we sit in. Where do you find um, the tug or the boundary for you from Rebet who's at home and Rebet who's at work? Super simple. I, I, I made the conscious decision more than 10 years ago or um or actually no it was after i had my first daughter really was uh publicly no one will see my children and probably my my wife or my inner circle no one knows who i'm talking to on a daily basis no one will see publicly who i'm physically with and i've only ever t- put up two things publicly which have shown who's in my circle and that will be it probably yeah um because i feel that the lines merge where I, I feel for me, it's a thing of, um, I don't, I wouldn't want to feel that I'm taking away the visibility or privacy from someone close to me that because they're close to me, I expose their world for others that don't necessarily know them. Um, and I think that's a very, so, so for me, it's, it's kind of like basically my inner circle friends and family you won't see and you won't know about and that's it. And then everything else, how I am as a person, I think is exactly the same. I'm like, talk the same shit, dress the same thing, do the same stuff. And (laughs) I do feel that it's a superpower because all of the shit that bring your whole self to work and all this, like be your true self and all the shit. What it's actually is it's, it's, 
opening up, it feels like to empower people to genuinely just be flat and treat this the top the same as the bottom, left the same as the right, and roll and and know that that's okay in business. But everyone has these shells which they usually do. So to answer it would be, um, who I am flat, what others mm-hmm. see totally line in the sand and people don't know that which is why it starts morphing and gets a bit weird of like what's perception what's reality um and that's a big issue i think of what's happened with um the the life is not your instagram stream yes you know and and i think people are starting to learn that and really realize that that's not necessarily the the realities of how the world works does that make sense totally totally it's it's almost twofold so you've got you've got strong boundaries around um your personal life, especially because of the kind of work that you do and the personal brand that you've got and how open you are um, and out there in the ether. But then also when you go to work, you know, when you and I sit down for a coffee or a soda or whatever it's going to be, you are who you are. I know that you and I could have either the deepest conversation that I've ever had on the first time meeting a human being, (laughs) or we could just giggle, right? Um, Yeah. And I like that about you, but you said something there that really resonated because, you know, for me, for two decades, I've had the bring your whole self to work spiel. And it's hard for me because it doesn't, it, it's not something that's actually readily doable for most people. And I guess that's where the, the crux of the question was is, and maybe that's where you can offer the tips too, is how do you make that decision to walk into a room and be you regardless of where you are? Because a lot of the time we're taught wear the mask, um, nothing's flat, there's a propriety, there's a way we act between, you know, the boss and the boss's boss and the boss's boss. I've never fa- fallen for that, you've never fallen for that, but what are your tips um, for folks who maybe are struggling with that? I started realizing it was a thing where people would be a chameleon at work, but then after the fourth beer at Sales Street, just start being them. And I've got one yeah. friend in particular who's got public profile and he is totally different publicly than he is privately and it sucks because he feels trapped by this public stigma of who he needs to feel he needs to be for others as if he's on show when he's in public and weirdly enough it's more of a liability than asset because it's like you need to know when to be on show and I feel that for me anyway net net I feel I've won if I can just do me and be me because I'd rather lose opportunities or relationships, whatever, organically being me than fake something I'm not to try and have a connection that's not the same as others. And I know it's a bit of a different thing. The reason why I think people do that is you can't scale. It almost feels like you can't have a scalable, sustainable, individualistic corporation if everyone's genuinely been them. Like I don't even know a spot where – you know, like I would have stuff that would work for me if we'd be like 18 years old and be like, nah, Robert, that shit's whack. It needs to be this. And I'd be like, you reckon? He's like, yeah, I'm like, all right, stuff it. You're probably right. I'm wrong. You're right. Let's do it. Next. And <laughs> yeah. hierarchy, that shit, like, could you imagine? And I've been in rooms where a junior has not said something in front of the CEO. The second CEO walks out, all of a sudden the whole conversation changes just because yeah. the power left the room. So there is something that's going to be there. What I do feel is if leadership can make things flat, so... Mm. If with the energy, it changes the dynamic of the conversation because there is no threat to the opinion. And as long as I think, for me anyway, if those close to you know that all you give a shit about is the output, regardless of how you get there and who's got the best idea, who gives a shit? Like I genuinely don't care because I'm I'm about the the thing. And and if they know that, 
then they are more likely to speak up and have a say and throw in their two cents and know that it's not going to be like that stupid because half the shit I say is stupid, stupid usually. Um, yeah, so I, I would actually say it's leadership empowering flatness. Hundred. Apart from that, it's going to be just a bunch of say like, that. tick the box yeah. bullshit, and you get to yeah. see it in organisations. I mean, shit, you've seen it, but. I know that's my two cents. This is supposed to be about you, but for me, I just know that I think long game, mm-hmm. I have won and I will continue to win for winning and losing being me, then faking being someone I'm not for a fake win because that will give 100%. me regret. And I'm like, stuff that shit. I don't care who's on this thing. If it's you or a prime minister or a president or flipping someone homeless, it's yep. flat. Don't give that's a shit. Right. And I'm- I think people know that as well, which is powerful. I think so too. I think so too. And the, the mm. most powerful, the most powerful thing that you said there was empowerment because some mm. of the best places I've worked have been for leaders who go, who are either cognizant of the fact that there needs to be a shift in um, corporate culture from that empowerment perspective, or people who just walk through the world and go, actually, I hired you to do this just because I have a, I make more money or I have a, a bigger title. Don't, don't, that doesn't mean I'm right all the time. Uh, that's always how I've yeah. approached leadership as well. And I know that some of the time too, I was having a conversation with a, a fellow I worked with before we ran into at um, a pub here on Waiheke yesterday. And we were talking about um, the way that you work and the way that most people walk through the world is going like, I know my role, I know my lane, I know where I'm going, I know who I should talk to. I know who I shouldn't talk to. I know who I should kind of push down a peg. I know who I should, you know, whose ass I should kiss. But he and I are very similar in that we kind of walk through the world and go, actually, exactly what you just said. What's the output? How do we get there? What's the best way to empower and lift others? Um, Hmm. And I just love love the power in that. But I I don't feel in New Zealand, like I feel that Steve Yurkovich does it with some of the way he does his shit on social. I think Craig Hudson does it with the way he talks about certain things. And I feel that it's not that vulnerability is the superpower, but like humanness is timeless, right? And so is (laughs) visibility. It's so visibility for a lot of CEOs and for a lot of leaders. It's a scary thing putting yourself out there, right? Because it means that people are going to pick you to shreds. They're going to, if you put yourself out on social media these days, people will tear you to shreds and find out that you're imperfect. And Lord forbid somebody finds out a CEO is imperfect. I love um, Steve and the work that he does. He's just mm. a dude, a great, that you, uh, men- you mentioned his name, right? It's, uh, no, it's people. And But I feel that in New Zealand, more leaders need to realize that it's okay to show the imperfections of, of life, the, the polished profile pic of perfection and sound bites and bullshit. You know, that's why I think, you know, like actual conversations, you can't craft and curate into snippets that will work for a soundbite for a TV segment or whatever. People know that if you're a human and and real, it's, you know, and that's why, you know, even from that mental health awareness thing last week, everyone's got their own shit. The the bit where I kind of feel of it is I would rather, I think New Zealand businesses in general, whatever, would be so much more front-footed if they had more of the M&M approach in 8 Mile. I've talked about it a couple of times of, you know, at the end of 8 Mile, he battles a dude. Yep. How does he win? He wins because he destroys himself publicly first in front of the dude, takes away all the other person's ammunition. The other guy can't say shit and he wins. He gets the dub. So I just feel, well, 
if I front foot all my shit, like I'm horrible at processes and systems and I'm super loose and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, cool, that's me. All right, cool. Now I've taken away all that shit from you. You can't say shit. We're on to the next. And then they already know that it's not like they've got ammo because you've already said it. I think yeah. if leaders just show the ammunition that others could have to show that they're not perfect, gives them more power than trying to act like you're good at all of it when you're not. And the day is going to come when they will stuff up and I will stuff up oh, and 100%. you will stuff up and everyone do it. Yep. The difference is everyone will know when that day comes that your intent was right, but you stuffed up, not you're perfect and you gypped everyone like a tiger woods. That's the difference. Well, how, I feel. how boring is perfect? I mean, we could talk about this forever, but um, I think it's so important when somebody can mess up, show their mess up. If you have to apologize, apologize for it, move forward. Like I, Rebecca, I, I mess up daily, weekly, hourly, minute, minute by minute. I live my life as far as, as screwing up. But um, that's where we learn the most. It's like, it's like mm. when you're lifting weights, you've got to tear down a bit of muscle to build it up. Um, and I think that's the beautiful thing about leadership too. Um, mm. I see it more and more in New Zealand, but there's still that fear. And I think you mentioned it right at the beginning of the segment around that curation of self, that, that perfectly curated Instagram versus the not. And um, I think you beat me on the taking all of the apps off your phone game, because let me tell you, I've had to put them back on for work. Oh, really? <laughs> and it's, oh, well, I had, because I'm creating right into, into channel for a few clients right now. Got it. And it sucks you back in. So I've been sucked back in and I'm just ready to go back out because I felt for those weeks where I had no social media on my phone, wow, what a, what a bunch of clarity. I got my work done faster. My ideas were stronger. My productivity was more. And I'm finding myself getting sucked back into that vortex of curation. Um, and am, after that, that presidential debate, oh, it was not good for the blood pressure. Oh, <laughs> uh, I can imagine. Now, I, I tweaked out one thing in terms of um, admin stuff this week is usually I'll color code down to 15-minute increments of everything. I'm pretty insane. And mm -hmm. then um, with what I'm doing, where, blah, blah. And what I actually did, this week is I cancelled everything off my entire calendar, greenlit wow. everything, and the only thing I booked in for this week was any set meetings plus this, and everything else is blank. And then I've just been trying to see if if it's blank and I have free time where I actually put my energy to see what yeah. gets done. I'm just doing a little test on myself of am I potentially more productive if I go by feel with the key things I need across the mm. different ventures, or if it's structured and calendared to the exact minute what Ooh, you know, I'm curious to see yeah. how you find how you find that because I'm very much if I have to I'll put everything into the calendar but I've found since starting kind of my own journey now yesterday was seven months in um okay. leaving it leaving that blank space wow it's just so freeing um and I found there's there's more there's more impassionment and more inspiration hmm. in having a bit of free time um the other little bit, side note, which I thought I'd, I'd, I'd share with you, is I feel that the show's getting to a point where um, I think we could try for gnarly a topical guests to let them go long yes. form with actual chat. Um, and I think it's going to be, it could be a, a good thing because what's become very clear is there is a massive disconnect in the New Zealand media anyway between the perception of what all these different people that I talk to have versus mm -hmm. the feedback that comes back after they actually have just a conversation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, totally. So I, totally. Think, I think 
you know, I think New Zealand's leadership needs it. I feel more of the conversation needs it. And, you know, talking about more things that aren't so, you know, that that's could be where potentially we, we go to as well. Just um, Kiwis in general, right? Because mm. you can Google leadership tips. You can Google hacks. You can Google, you can do, you can take courses. You can go on like retreats. What you cannot pay for, what you cannot Google is exactly what we're doing right now. Our conversations that flow and where you or I find a moment of um, insight or, or passion where we go, actually, I went through this thing. It was really hard. Here's what I learned coming out the other end of it. And look, imperfection looks like this. And this is, you know, a confident, um, <laughs> well-spoken human being who is just going to keep going because life is more than your title. It's more than your job. It's more than the sport you play. I think it's so important you have these mm. conversations. Yeah, I I do think it's going to be, it's clearly a thing. Um, I love your work, Cassie. Uh, <laughs> have you gone for your run today? You know Waiheke run? Have you gone for a little Waiheke run? Well, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to run on days where you're planning to drink wine, so. Just go run to, um, well, run to the vineyard. Break? Run to the vineyard. <laughs> um, have, have fun out there for the weekend. I, I hope it uh, goes a okay for you, and um, I'll, I'll talk to you next week. Thank you, my friend. It sounds good. Take care over there in Cali. I love our banter. Love your work, Cassie. You too. Right back at you. See you soon. You get some claps. Such a good human. Uh, Cassie Roma. Good banters. Flipped it on me a little. I was trying to, you know, we're going to talk about media and some other shit, but, you know, you go down to some different different rabbit holes, which is cool. Uh, very cool show today, team. Oh, there you go. A little music, a little, little outro music to, 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 to tone off the rest of the day. Um... Hopefully enjoyed the show. Adam Blair, Vodafone Warrior, flipping good bastard. What a good dude. Um, really impressive to see such a big career that he's been on, obviously, for the last 15 years, now transitioning to, you know, life after sport. What happens for him for life after sport? Where does he go to? What does he do? You know, doesn't have training every day, doesn't have all sorts of other shit going on. So that's cool. Uh, big thanks to our, our guests. We had uh, Ben Rose, One Minute Pitch. We also had... Uh, Mark Brigman, One Minute Pitch, Quidnet Adventures. Uh, you can check out those at thegrowery.co.nz, quidnetadventures.com, and then Holly Bennett from HSB Consulting.nz, uh, and also Cassie Roma from CR Co. Very cool. Uh, big thanks to sponsors today. Um, sponsors, plugs for other different things. Brightfire.co.nz, a bunch of uh, business education and events, and also um, stream through switch.stream. If you're a business, want to do some live streaming stuff, jump in the mix and check that out. Uh, I'm feeling good about the show. I do feel I've done the math. This is episode 258. So we, I clearly like this. I clearly enjoy, keep learning. Um, if you've got a guest or someone who you think you'd like to have on the show, feel free to track me down and do an introduction. Um, if it's something topical and relevant or something there, we can get some, some substance out of it with a good solid chat. I think that would be good. I enjoy doing it and I enjoy, um, you know, bringing more content to, to others um, through the chats as well. So have a good day, team. Enjoy the rest of it. Um, you know, be good, do good, and I'll see you soon. Adios, team. Peace.